Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Before I begin this morning, I'm going to pray right off the bat, and uh, then we're going to jump right into the scripture for today. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to thank you for this day, and Lord, I thank you for all that are in this room, and I just ask now that you would be a blessing to us as we look at your word. I pray that you'd guide and direct our understanding. Lord, I pray that you help us to learn the things that you'd want us to learn. Lord, I just pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, today I'm going to ask you to be Bible scholars a little bit, okay? So I'm, I'm going to ask you to try to put on your scholarly brain. And uh, we're going to jump into a passage, and I'm hoping that if you're thinking as a Bible scholar, you're going to jump in here and there's going to be a bit of a question that's going to arise naturally from the text, and then hopefully we're going to try to answer that question, okay? So uh, let's jump right in here. Um, uh, I'm going to ask you to listen to these passages. I'm going to go back over in Acts chapter 19. I'm going to jump back a little bit. I'm going to read a verse, and I want you to listen for some words that just kind of stick out to you, okay? So... Listen to this text and see if there's anything that just kind of sticks out to you in this passage, okay? So Acts 19, um, verse 21, it says, Now after these events, um, these events, by the way, that's right after the beginning of Paul's ministry in Ephesus, okay? So he had this ministry in Ephesus that started, and it says right after these events, that's what that's talking about. After these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. Uh, By the way, this is about the year 54 AD. He's determined to go to Jerusalem. Any words jump out at you in this text? Mm, Yeah, that was the one I was hoping to hear. He nailed it. Resolved in the Spirit. It's a result, like he's decided, but notice that it's capitalized here, and that's because scholars believe he's talking about in the Spirit, right? Talking about the Holy Spirit of God. So, He's resolved in the Spirit of God, not just in his own spirit, but in the Spirit of God to go to Jerusalem. Okay? Uh, by the way, I want to take a look, look at a map here. And I'm going to, this is Paul's third missionary journey. And uh, I actually have here um, a copy. So I don't have enough for everybody to have one, but I've got enough for a few in each row. John, would you mind just handing these out, see if anybody wants any of these? Um, I think it's good because I, you need to enter into this story to understand what's happening with uh, Paul, okay? So I'm going to give him a second um, just to pass a few out. Some of these rows, you may just hand a few down, and I'm going to pause for a second here. I know some of you probably have uh, copies of this in your Bibles, right? And so I know that I, I did realize after I made this copy that the fine print underneath Paul's third mission, it says, do not republish without permission. Whoops! <laughs> uh, so I'm not publishing this. I'm just sharing it with you. So I think we're okay. Um, Paul's third missionary journey, notice Antioch. So if you've got that map, Antioch is where his home church is at. He's headed out through here, um, headed up right through all these areas. There's Corinth. There's places that you recognize, Philippi. I'm actually going to zoom in a little bit on this map for you. Um, We're in the part of the story where Paul, right, in his ministry in Ephesus, so I'm going to use my laser pointer here, right there is Ephesus. And that's where he's resolved to go to Jerusalem, okay? Where did it say, and I can go back a couple slides in that that passage, where did it say he was going to go before he went to Jerusalem? Two places right there. What do you see? 
Macedonia and Achaia. Okay? So if we go back to our map here, uh, Macedonia. So we actually see he left. Ephesus goes up here. My hand is so shaky. Right? This is Macedonia. So here's a church we know. Philippi is up in there, right? Thessalonica, Berea. We remember talking about that. So he goes through Macedonia. And then Achaia is this area down here. What's the key city in Achaia that we think of when we think about being in Achaia? Corinth, right? So uh, you see that right down there. And so he does. He, he does exactly what he says. He goes up through here. He's actually going to travel down here. Then he goes back around, goes back through. And we're, gonna, we're picking up this story in Acts 21, right in this area here. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Okay. So another passage, Acts 20. Um, this is about, just to put it in perspective, about three to four years later. Okay. So Acts 19 to Acts 20, we're talking about three to four years later. So he was resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem, Macedonia, Achaia first, comes back around. Notice what it says here. Uh, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus. And if you're looking at your maps, you may see that, how on his return trip, he goes past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem. So earlier he had resolved, but now, I'm sorry, I was letting you pick out these words. I was going to see if you noticed these words. Um, Hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Okay? So he makes it past Ephesus. So looking at your map again there, on his way back, he hastens past Ephesus. I think it's because he knows if he goes to Ephesus, he's going to spend a lot of time there. He knows them well. He goes down to uh, Miletus right here. And that's actually where we, we were talking about last week. He actually called the Ephesian elders to come down to Miletus so he could have a conversation with them. That's what we talked about last week. Okay? Now, in the same passage at the same time in the conversation with those Ephesian elders, he says this. Now behold, listen for some key words, Bible scholars. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you, right? Remember this heartfelt goodbye last week? I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Anything stick out to you in that second part? We heard resolved in the spirit earlier. Did anybody see those? Do I need to put them back up there for you? Ooh, yeah, good. Constrained by the spirit. Let me jump back there, right? Constrained by the spirit. And like I said a minute ago, he's hastening now to get there. Constrained by the spirit of God. Notice that he also said there, do you see anything else in this particular verse that might jump out at you? I don't have something on my notes that you're supposed to find here. Yeah, the Spirit testifies, right, in every city. Now, think about what he'd gone through. This has been three to four years, so he decided to go. So as he's traveling around and all these cities goes to, the Spirit's testifying to him in all these cities what's awaiting for him. But does he know fully what's going to happen to him? What does it say in that verse? He knows afflictions, but right before that, it says, not knowing what will happen to me there, except I know there's going to be this stuff, but I don't know the full picture, right? Doesn't know the full picture. 
Now, what do you think may have led to his decision to go to Jerusalem? Now, this is just a little side note question. Just curious if anybody has any ideas. I've got my thought on what may have the Spirit, why he may be leading. If you think about anything that you know about Paul and what he's, why is he headed to Jerusalem? Does anybody remember? I'd be so disappointed if nobody knows. <gasps> Thank you, Pastor John. Somebody knew. Uh, yeah, he's taking up an offering. Does anybody remember that now? He's taking up an offering. He's gathering a collection. And I think he wants to deliver it himself. I think that he loves the Jewish people. He knows the need. He wants to be there when that, that, that gift is brought. So he's helping with this collection. He has other people traveling with him at this point. And now we're going to jump into our story in Acts chapter 21. Okay, Verse 1. And we, when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. By the way, notice all the we in there. Why does it say we? Who's, who's with him? Luke, right? Luke is with him at this point. So we're getting a very detailed, in fact, people that study Acts, they go, man, there's a lot of details here. Why? Because Luke is actually, the one who's writing this was actually with him for this part of the journey. So he's sharing, we went to this spot, we went here, then we found to find a ship. So there they are. You're ready to set sail, those places we just mentioned. So if you have your map, right, left from Miletus, there's Kos, this island down here. Um, Patera, see the little line right there? That's that city of Patera. Then they're going to try to find a ship. Now it was common for ships to go along the coast carrying cargo. But I think what probably happened is, Paul's in a hurry. He finds a ship in Patera that may be setting sail across all the way over to where Jerusalem is at. So it says, and when we, uh, and when we had come in sight of Cyprus, so they, they uh, found a ship sailing across, they come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, which is just a very, it's actually a very nautical term that Luke is using here. So he's on the ship and the sailors, they leave Cyprus uh, on the left. And we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there, the ship was to unload its cargo. So they're on a much larger ship. I hope I'm not boring you with these details, but you need to enter into this. So, so imagine them sailing across. They see Cyprus. Paul had been there. So you can imagine them sailing. I, I didn't think about it until this morning, but I thought I should have found a picture of Cyprus on the horizon because that's what Paul would have seen. So he has these sailing across and they see Cyprus. Oh, we're not stopping there. We're headed on, right? We're on our way to Jerusalem. And they're headed down. So they passed Cyprus, they head over to uh, uh, the uh, tire where the ship unloads its cargo. And there we read this. And having sought out the disciples, now Bible scholars pay careful attention to this verse. And having sought out the disciples, the Christians, you find some in this city. Um, we stayed there for seven days. Maybe they made good time across the Mediterranean. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, if you're a Bible scholar, did anybody have a giant question mark pop up above their head just now? Wait a minute. Who's telling that he's constrained by the Spirit, resolved, and all these things we had so far, but all of a sudden, here he's at this place, and through the Spirit... They're saying, don't go. Interesting. 
We're going to come back to this. Hold on to that. I like it. I like you having a big question mark above your head. You know why? Because it, it, make, it pulls you in like, oh, what does this mean now? What am I supposed to do with this? I don't know. It's good. It's good. That's where I was this week. Um, actually, in my Bible from several years ago when I was reading through this passage, I actually had a big question mark written beside this verse. And so I knew this passage was coming when I, were, when I was going through Acts because this has always been a question mark. Like, what is going on here? Is the Spirit trying to be confusing? When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all with wives and children. Oh man, just picture this in your head. It's interesting that Luke decides to include this aspect. With wives and children accompanying us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach. Can you picture it? If you have to, close your eyes. Picture them and kneeling down, Paul, on his way to Jerusalem. They've begged him not to go. We love you, Paul. Please don't do this. We don't know how it's going to end. Even he's testifying afflictions await. I think I would have been telling Paul, you've been through so much already, you don't need to do this one more thing. We just want you to be here to keep teaching us. Paul's like, no. Go on. Kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. When we'd finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. Do you remember, remember Philip the Evangelist? Acts chapter 7. Okay, We haven't heard from him in a while. He's Still in Caesarea. That's actually the last thing we heard. He had headed to Caesarea. He's made, he made it there and he's planted a church. He's been there and he's still there ministering to these people. I think he's called Philip the Evangelist to differentiate him from Philip the Apostle. So this is kind of his nickname, Philip the Evangelist. He was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Uh, we have actually met Agabus before. Does anybody remember Agabus? Now you might be like, I remember Philip. Does anybody remember Agabus? Not as many hands. Acts chapter 11, Agabus showed up and predicted a famine which came about. Oh, I, I saw it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Let's see what Agabus does. Now his predictions have come true, haven't they? Yes. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, so he's an interpretive prophet at this point. Uh, not interpretive dance, but he's illustrating not just with words, he's showing. He likes mental pictures for everybody. He's given a visualization. Takes Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. You may have noticed in verse 4, Luke said, they urged him not to go. At this point, Luke has entered into it as well. He sees this and he's like, he's, he's with him at this point going, don't go. We urged him not to go to Jerusalem. I love this next verse. It, once again, allows you to enter in the story of Paul and what's going on. And so Paul constrained by the Spirit, but getting all this other feedback, says this. And Paul answered, what? What are you doing? 
Now, I, there's not the to me on there, but I kind of picture it, that kind of idea. What are you doing to me, guys? What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. What are you doing? You're weeping and breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of uh, Mason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Luke adding the details in again, even the place of lodging. Now, Bible scholar question. We'll talk about it briefly. Because knowing what God wants from you might feel a little bit like this. Anybody ever feel a little bit like this? The Spirit's telling you one thing, but the Spirit seems like maybe He's telling somebody else something different from somebody else. Anybody ever have anything like that happen? Now, I was hoping to see a few more hands than that. I've had times like that. Sometimes just trying to discern what God's will for my life has felt exactly like this. I get convinced in my head, this is what God wants me to do. And then I'm talking to somebody who's spiritual and they're like, I just don't think God wants you to do that. And I felt like Paul, like, what are you doing to me? And sometimes not just to them, but to God, like, what are you doing to me? I think the question that I want to try to answer today is this. Um, what does it mean to know and follow God's will for your life? What does it mean to know and to follow God's will for your life? Isn't that what you really want to know? This is actually a very common question. So I'm going to ask another one again where I'm, I'm hoping to see a few hands. Anybody ever been in this boat where you're like, I, I, I just want to know what God wants me to do? Anybody ever been there? Anybody there right now having decisions to make? See, I know my son, Samuel, he's, he's right there. College, right? I mean, what do I do, God? A lot of big decisions, and you're thinking, God, what do you want from me? What, what, what is it? What's your will? Now, there's something that I think might be helpful, so I'm going to lay a little bit of a piece of groundwork here that I don't have time to unfold completely but I want to just lay a little piece out there that I, I think is a, a helpful thought when we're looking at Scripture, trying to figure out what is God's will for my life. So let's take a look at this. God's will of decree. So when, we, when in the Bible, there's, there's two different wills, so to speak. There's God's will of decree, and there's also God's will of command. Some people call the first one God's will of decree, God's sovereign will. Let me play out a little bit of it for you. That first one, God's will of decree, uh, played out in Acts earlier. So we actually talked about this, so we're going to have a little flashback moment, right? So the wavy ha comes and we jump back. I, I don't know if I had the same shirt on, but uh, we were in Acts uh, chapter 4, and uh, I, we read this passage of Scripture. This is uh, uh, Peter, he's praying, and in this prayer he says this, he's speaking to God, he says, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your, your holy servant Jesus, Okay, so he's talking to God the Father, your holy servant. They were gathered together against Jesus, 
whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So all these people working against Jesus. What were they going to do to do whatever? Now, since he's talking to God, whose, whose hand and whose plan is happening here in this verse? God's, right? Was it, if I was, if I traveled back in time and I met Pontius Pilate around this time and Pontius Pilate said to me, he said, well, what is God's will for my life? I would say, well, don't put an innocent man to death. Don't, don't be part, even if it turns against you politically, don't do it. What is God's will for your life? That would be wrong. That would be sin. But yet, in this big picture, God's will of decree. Was it God's will that Christ be put to death on the cross? Absolutely. And just so you don't think that this is kind of a lazy will where God's patching things up, this author under the inspiration of the Spirit said, to do whatever your hand and your plan. The fact that hand is thrown in there is hugely significant. God's sovereign decreed will. Somehow, and I have to throw that in there because I, I got to be honest with you, I don't know how. Somehow, God's will overall, big picture, was to bring Christ, Christ to this point of death on a cross at the hands of sinful men. Somehow, he did that. He did not make anybody sin, but yet it was part of his plan. So when we talk about God's will, there's we always know this, that God's will has been decreed from before time, predestined to take place. Very significant. But I think that many of us, we're okay with that to a degree. It's confusing sometimes. We don't fully get it or understand it, but we're, we're okay with God being in control for the most part, except to you control freaks out there. You, you, you don't like him being in control. You wish you could control him sometimes. But, well, that's a different sermon, okay? For the most part, we're, we're okay. Even if it's hesitantly control freaks, sometimes we finally get to, we're like, okay, God, I know you're in control. I can't really do anything. Kick the dirt, you know. <laughs> wish I could. But, but the longer you're in that, the more you go, but I'm okay with that because, man, somehow God always works it out in this amazing Beautiful, glorious plan. And so, even if it's hesitantly, even if it's cautiously, I think most of us, we, we come to a place where we're okay with it. But that's not really where many of us struggle. Many of us don't struggle with that side. of We're okay. We, we know that God's going to do what he's going to do. But the question comes up, then what do you want me to do? I've got these decisions to make. I know somehow it's all going to play into your plan, but I still have decisions to make. Even the dumb things I do, somehow it's going to play. But I still, that doesn't mean I want to make dumb decisions. What am I supposed to do? So let's take a look at this other one. God's will of command. And I think I'm going to make it nice and big here. I think what we really want to know, I, I, I just think this is true for me. I think it's probably true for most of you. What you really want to know is, what does God want me to do? Right now, today, what does he want? I don't know what he wants me to do. What's he want me to do? When we make these tough decisions. So let's, I'm going to break it down in three little points pulled from clues in this passage. The first one is this. Be obedient 
be obedient to God's clearly revealed will in his word. Okay, if you want to know what God wants you to do, this is your starting point. There are some things he said, do this. It's not, we don't have to scratch our heads. We don't have to try to figure it out. We're not wondering. In fact, I'm going to pull from 1 Thessalonians a couple of examples where Paul not only says, here's what you should do, but he includes the phrase, for this is the will of God. Okay, so I'm going to just two examples. In fact, he wrote 1 Thessalonians right about this time. So Paul, trying to determine God's will for his own life, he's writing things about knowing God's will. So be obedient. So here's the first example. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, for this is the will of God. It's pretty clear, isn't it? This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual morality. You never have to wonder, is sex, being sexual moral, is that, where does God stand on this issue? You don't ever have to ask that question. There are some things God has laid out. Don't do this. It's wrong. Don't do it. It's never, God is never going to say, well, in this case, well, in this time, well, for this year, 2018, no, it's wrong. Don't do it. If you come to me and you say, Matt, I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life. These, this is a starting point. If you're living in sexual morality, I go, stop. I, I tend to be, I try to be compassionate, but sometimes I, I, I tend to come across a little bit more black and white with this. So don't. But what about, just don't, don't, don't. It's not, it's clear. Let me give you another one. This one might hit home for others of us because there's some of us in the room like, well, duh. Okay, so uh, let's, let's hit another one here. This one might be a little bit more challenging, okay? First um, Thessalonians as well. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. In case you were wondering, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pretty clear. You ought to be rejoicing always. You ought to be praying you have to be giving thanks. What's God's will for my life? Here's some, there, there's, see, there's some things that you, you, you know. Start there. There's things that are clear. Start there. Now, from our passage, um, actually, there, there's a ton of other things. I, I thought about at this point saying, is there any other clearly defined things that God has laid out in his word? Uh, how about the, let, let's just go in the last few weeks. Is there anything that God... But, and feel free to be personal. Is there anything that you, you've like, maybe you're reading the word of God and you're like, boom, okay, God, it's clear. Anybody have anything that I just, just if you have something to share, that God has said, this is my will for you, clear, laid out, I ought to be obeying this. Anybody have anything that you'd like to share? Like, yeah. Oh. That's a good one. Be kind with your word. Does the Bible clearly say you should be kind with your words? Absolutely. Do we have to try to figure out if, like when we're making a, a minute decision with a coworker, I wonder if I should be kind with my words to this jerk. I don't know. God, what is your... Yes, be kind with your words, even to the jerk. Anybody else? Something that might... I don't want to press you to be too personal here, but anybody else have anything that's maybe last few weeks that God said, hey, you should be doing this? Mm, be more thank. Thanksgiving always is a good reminder of that, isn't it? Anybody else? Mm, ooh, that's a tough one. 
That sounds personal. God been teaching you that one? Yeah. Mm, not to be a debtor. Good, good. Yeah. Don't be lazy. These are getting personal. Yeah. Be patient. Anybody else? Yeah. Don't gripe. Anybody else? Humble. Mm. Ooh, that's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, want, I, I don't mind taking, if you, if you have another one that comes up in the next couple seconds here, feel free to raise your hand. But this is the thing. I, I often tell, uh, as, a, as a teacher as well, kids, especially Christian kids, quite often get to a place where they're like, what, what does God want me to do? And I love telling them, um, especially the ones that go, should I be a missionary? Should, maybe God's calling me to this. I always go, well, here you go. Let's start with something God has let you know to do. And they're like, what is it? Do your homework. <laughs> and then I go to the scripture. I say, let everything be done. Hardly as if for the Lord, not for men. You, so, so you should be doing your homework with a good attitude. Let's start there and see what else God brings to you, right? Sam, you've ever heard that one from me before? Yeah. Joe, you've ever heard that? Yeah. It, but it's, it's true. That, and, and that's where but I think there's a lot of adults that struggle in the same spot. They're like, what does God want me to do? There's some things that God has laid out for you to do. Do start there. But now, from this passage, there's, there's something very clear laid out in, in what's going on with Paul that's being testified to him in every city and being revealed to this prophet and to others around him. And it's, this, the reality of risk does not negate God's will for your life. The reality of risk, in God's economy, we know there's no such thing as risk to God. God's not up there thinking anything is risky because he knows how everything's going to turn out and he's working it out. But to us, let's be honest, doing what God wants you to do can it feel risky? Okay, now you're all too spiritual to admit it, but some of you, you go, yeah, no, it's true. It feels that way, doesn't it? Does doing what God wants you to do, I mean, if you line yourself up perfectly with God's will, does, it, does that mean that suddenly everything is gonna work out perfectly? New. No. Let me go back to one of the verses I shared earlier. Paul said, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. Notice, remember he said this, not knowing what will happen to me there? Risk. He knows some of it, but he doesn't know the full outcome. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, imprisonment and afflictions. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know all the details, but I know it's not going to be easy. That's risk, not knowing. And let's be honest. Some of us know, like Paul does, that doing what God wants you to do may actually lead to more difficult times. True? Acts 20, 24, right after that, 
is where he said this, but I do not account my life of any value. So we're going to get we're going to start to get into an understanding of how he's determining or discerning God's will by this picture. There's something else, not just what the risk is, but there's something else at stake in Paul's head. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Or how about in the passage we just read, verse 13, where he said, and Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When you dig into the passages that we read earlier, especially verse 4, where it says, through the Spirit they were saying this, it's important to understand that what was most likely happening and what most Bible scholars believe because of the grammar that's being used is that those people were getting this clue from the Spirit that this is going to lead to hard times. But Paul was able to discern the difference between what was prophetic and what was personal for them. They saw the leading to hard times and they, they drew a conclusion. Don't go! Paul was seen bigger than that and he saw the same hard times coming, but instead, what did he say? I must go. So this urge, and you see them even come to that opinion and that conclusion themselves because what does it say eventually? They eventually go, let the will of the Lord be done. But this is right where many of us struggle in this step because I think many of us would have been in, in Paul's shoes when people started playing out the risk and, and maybe through wisdom or even through the spirit, seeing where this will lead. It's not just guessing. Sometimes the spirit lets you know. This is going to be a hard decision. If you go this way, it's going to be tough. Afflictions might await you. That doesn't mean we go, well, that's, that's not where we're going. Even if the Spirit himself reveals this is what's in store for you. That's not God's way of saying don't go that way because God's economy doesn't depend on is it going to be tough, rough, Peter, in 1 Peter 3, 17, says this, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. All right. So let's say you're trying to determine God's will. You check the Bible. And I'm going to try to continue talking, but my computer just died. And my notes are on there. I'll try to turn it back on. We'll see what happens. It's not dead dead. I don't know. It just blanked out on me. It's doing what my brain does sometimes. We'll see how well I remember what's going to happen next in the sermon. Let's say you've decided, you've checked God's word. Is this right? Is this wrong? Okay. You've checked that. Okay. Maybe risk has shown up, but you're, you're able to look past that. The question then is, okay, how am I going to determine what God wants me to do? How am I going to discern? And so I'm going to put this last one up here. Make non-conformed but transformed decisions. I'm going to explain this one. Paul, right about the same time that all of this is happening, penned the book to the Romans. This idea comes from Romans chapter 12 which says this, 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And listen carefully to what it says next. That by testing, discerning, some versions say prove, right? You may prove or discern what is the will of God, what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So right about this time that this is all happening with Paul, like literally right before he's in Miletus with the Ephesian elders, he had written this passage. Notice what it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Notice that if you think of this part right here that says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. That's right where some of us are at. I, I, I'm trying to figure out what is the will of God. I feel like I'm getting conflicting messages, sometimes even from the Spirit of God. What ought I to do? Like the Spirit's telling me to do this, but then at the same time, I feel like the Spirit's saying, it's going to be hard. Is that the Spirit's way of telling me not to do this? I don't know. What do I do? Right here is where it comes down to. You need this discernment to be able to test or prove what the will of God is. And notice how that happens? By the renewal of your mind. You need, and that word renewal means a complete renewing to something completely, a complete transformation to something good. In the depths of your being, what you really need to be able to discern and determine God's will is a complete shift of perspective. not about comfort in this life, is it? See, the renewal of the mind is what does that and brings that about. It's not about comfort. It's not about ease. Think about it. When many of us go to make decisions, what's one of the questions that we're, gonna, we're asking in the back of our head, even when we go to God? I'm getting ready to make a decision. Is this what God wants? And the underlying, the fine print in our question to God, is this what you want? The fine print is, is this going to turn out okay? Am I going to get hurt? Is this going to be tough? Sometimes like buying a car. Got two cars, about the same price. Which one do I buy? I don't know. God, which one do you want me to buy? Yes, I want to know which one's not going to break down. You see, a renewal of the mind starts to understand that the main thing is not a car that won't break down. What's the main thing? God's plans and God's purposes for your life. And so you make this decision, you head off that direction. You say, okay, God, I'm gonna do what you want me to do. God's will for my life. I'm gonna close in prayer. And as I close in prayer today, what I wanna pray for specifically is that whatever God has for you, right? He'll make it clear. Paul resolved to go to Jerusalem. He knew. I'm gonna pray as well that God will then take it a step further that, that when, you, when you start to have that hesitancy, Lord, I don't know what you want, that you will stop factoring in risk and instead simply factor in, God, what do you want for, the, for your cause, for your purposes? If I'm buying this house, if I'm buying this car, if I'm trying to decide which way to go in my life, a change of job, change of, that it, it will no longer be about for you. Where's the risk? Where's the challenge? 
Where's the comfort? Where's the ease? But instead it will be, Lord, what, what do you want for your big picture purposes? If afflictions await me, okay. I count my life, like Paul said, as nothing. I count my life as nothing. And I'm willing to go to, to prison, to afflictions, for the sake of the gospel. You may find that when you're seeking to make the decision, when that switch of mind happens, God's way goes, here it is. Here it is. And all the other voices, but what about the risk? You'll be going, what are you doing to me? You're breaking my heart, but I know what God wants me to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you now on behalf of myself in this church, Lord, we, for the most part, Lord, I think most of us in this room, we, we want to do what you want us to do. We might struggle. We might factor in the wrong things from time to time, but I believe that for the most part, those in this room are sitting here today and we're going, Lord, I, I want to do what you want me to do. Got to pray that the story of Paul and his willingness to go to Jerusalem and his understanding that you had called him to do that in spite of all these other voices that were coming into him. Even the truth from your spirit that, hey, this is going to lead to trial. It's going to lead to difficulty. Got to pray that you help us in this room to discern the difference between what you're just laying out and letting us know is true. God, compared to what you want us to do. Lord, I ask now that you would be with each and every one of us. Lord, clearly lay a path out for us. Lord, as we follow that path, God, I pray that you'd open up the next step. Which way do we go from here? Lord, I pray as we're making decisions that you would open up the doors to know. And Lord, let us make those decisions based on what you would have for us. And Lord, if there's trials, afflictions awaiting us, God, help us to adopt the mind of Paul and account our lives as nothing for the sake of the gospel. That's a big call. But Lord, it's one that you've called each person in this room to do. So God, I pray that you're by the power of your spirit that you would enable us to have a complete change of mind and to place your gospel as primary and your cause as first. And help us to let our fears of risk and challenge diminish to the background as we choose to make the decisions that best glorify you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.